Um, it's good to be with you. This is uh, week number seven. We are quickly closing in on the end of our season of Epiphany. We have next week, and then after that starts the season of Lent, believe it or not, which the, the word for Lent, it's a weird word, but it means spring. Um, and so we're two weeks away from at least the church saying it's springtime. I don't know if the weather will agree, but um, that's good news in and of itself. But we've been looking at uh, this the series of sermons that focus on the life of Jesus. Uh, we've kind of been following him uh, as he started his ministry and as he reached out into the communities around him, but with the specific purpose kind of of saying, you know, if Jesus shows up at Christmas time, Epiphany is the season of asking, so what's he doing? Um, now what? What do we do with this Jesus guy or who even is he? Um, this year we've been focusing on the fact that Jesus is the word that became flesh. Um, not just for him, but so that we as the church could also uh, be the word lived out in the physical word, world. Um, and so it's, it's important when we look at Jesus to understand the, the full context of his life. Um, I, I knew growing up in the, in the church, I reached an understanding. I don't know if it was ever specifically taught to me or not, but I came to the conclusion that like Jesus was like an a, uh, off-ramp from Judaism, like Israel was doing its thing, and then Jesus showed up and said, well, we're not going to do that stuff anymore. And so, like, he started something new, or he, he was doing something radically different than what everybody else was doing. Um, but at, the more I've studied and, you know, been in, in ministry, the more I realized that Jesus wasn't an end to what God was doing in Israel, but actually the fulfillment of it. And, and Paul says that, and Jesus says that. It probably should have been more obvious to me as a, as a student growing up, but Understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God called Israel to be. Um, and so one of the things to, to understand Jesus is we have to understand Israel's story. Jesus' story is a part of Israel's story. And one of the major, there's two major points in the history of Israel um, before Jesus. One would have been the Exodus and the other would have been the exile. The Exodus, and many of you are familiar with this, if you've ever watched uh, broadcast television around Easter time, you've got Charlton Heston and the the Ten Commandments and all of that type of thing. Right, so the Exodus starts with the people of God being slaves in Egypt. And they were uh, oppressed, they were, like I said, enslaved, working seven days a week, and when they would go against uh, the people of Egypt, when things weren't going the way that their masters wanted them to, they would make life even more increasing. And the Bible tells us that the people of, of God, the Israelites, were the Hebrew folks, were screaming out, crying out for God to save them, for God to relieve them uh, of this burden. And so the, one of the most significant moments, this is something that shapes the, the identity of Israel probably more than anything else, is this idea of exodus, right? We know the, the ten the uh, ten plagues show up, right? And the Pharaoh lets the people go and then changes his mind and he chases the, the Hebrew people and cross the Red Sea and all of that. And what happens is the, the people of God, the Hebrew folks, end up in the wilderness of free people. They've escaped the reaches of Pharaoh's army. They've, they've escaped their lives as slaves of the kingdom of Egypt. Those things have been removed from threats in their lives, but now they find themselves in the wilderness with, with no identity, with, with no sense of direction. Like they've been freed from the things that they wanted to be freed from, but the question was, well, how do they live now? If nobody's making them make bricks 
at making them work and governing their lives the way that their slave masters did, how do they live now? And so it's at this point in the story that, that Moses shows up with the Ten Commandments. God speaks on top of the mountain and Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. And we, because we're like Western folk, um, uh, we read the Ten Commandments as rules. We read them as, as, as laws, like in a legal sense. Um, for most of Jewish history, for most of the, the history of the church, they weren't viewed in that specific legal context, though. Uh, in fact, what we read in our Bible, we read translated as law in some translations, the law of God, whatever. The word Torah literally means teaching, the Ten Commandments and the other teachings. And so here's this people out in the wilderness, freed from their slavery, going, how do we live now? And just conveniently, God says, here's some teaching on how you're going to live as my people. And he lists off the Ten Commandments. You have no other gods besides me, right? So in Egypt, there was all these different gods you had to worship. And God says, no, like, I'm the only one you got to worry about. He says, uh, you know, you don't kill people. If you're following my people, we don't use violence and murder as a way to get our way. Um, if you're going to live as one of God's people, you don't steal. You don't want, desire other people's stuff. Right? You can go through the list of the Ten Commandments, and I'm not going to, but it, it's, it's a teaching on how to live. Right? It, it, we've translated it as rules that if you break, they're gonna, you know, you're going to get punished and, and all of that, and, and there's some element to that, but it's, it's a teaching on how are you going to live as the people of God. I say all of that to set the backdrop for, for our scripture for today. Because Jesus is going to be preaching and teaching uh, it, from uh, what's called the Sermon of the Plain. Uh, in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, what we're reading today, it's called Sermon on the Plain. But it's a list of teachings that Jesus gives to his followers and disciples and a, and a large crowd that has gathered. And it's supposed to, if you were a, a Jewish person or familiar with the Old Testament, it's supposed to draw back to Moses standing on the the side of the mountain, coming down from the mountain and proclaiming the Torah, the teaching, the law. And so that's the image, that's the backdrop. Jesus is, in this sense, the new Moses that's going to explain to these people, again, how do they live as children of God. And so uh, if you would want to turn to Luke chapter 6, it'll be on the screen as well, but we'll be in Luke 6. crowd. He says, but when I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those for whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. 
Your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Um, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous Spirit, gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Amen. So this scripture that we just read, this Luke 6 passage with Jesus teaching the Sermon in the Plain, is a continuation from the scripture we looked at last week. We were in Luke chapter 6 last week talking about where Jesus was announcing blessings and curses. He says, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. This is all part of a larger context. This is one larger teaching. This is... uh, one story that we're breaking up over a couple weeks. And like I said a moment ago, this is what scholars call the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, um, Jesus teaches similar teachings on the side of a mountain, so that's called the Sermon on the Mountain. They weren't really creative when they came to naming these things. It wasn't a very good marketing campaign. Uh, but the Gospel of Matthew has similar stories. It's not exactly the same. It's not worded exactly the same. So, for example, Luke says, blessed are the poor. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You could spend all kinds of time trying to reconcile what the difference there means or who said what. But uh, in Matthew, Jesus preaches a longer sermon. So if you go read Matthew's version, uh, it's longer. And again, he's on the side of a mountain, which makes uh, the image of Moses a little bit more prevalent. So we have Sermon on the Plain versus Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Luke versus the Gospel of Matthew. Now some scholars think that these are the same sermon that are just uh, recorded with a few different details. So it's like one teaching that they just record a little bit differently. Um, There's others that believe that these sermons captured the content of Jesus' sermons that he preached wherever he went. So it's kind of like the, uh, the best hits, the, the anthology of all his best teachings, that if you were to go and hear Jesus preach anywhere, this is kind of the, the stuff that you would got. It's like a, a, an edition where they edit all the, the best sermon stuff together into one big teaching. Um, there's some scholars that believe that. Um, so they, they said instead of having all these different sermons all over the place, they just have one single story. Um, but there's some differences, and so we might find ourselves asking the question at, at, at some point, well, which version is the right version? Did, does Luke get it right? Is it blessed are the poor, or did Matthew get it right, or blessed are the poor in spirit? Is Jesus talking about how much money we have in our bank account, or is he talking about the condition of our souls? Right, we might start asking questions. Did Jesus preach this sermon? Did he preach it on the side of a mountain? Or was he on a large, flat place called a plain. Um, where did he preach it? How could we get that detail wrong? Um, and if you start asking those questions, it quickly escalates the, the sense of urgency 
to kind of resolve this tension because if, if Matthew was wrong or Luke was wrong in, in the location or the words, like what are the consequences of that? And so there's some tension between Luke and Matthew and, and there's some, some differences that, that might cause us to question, well, if, if Matthew's wrong or Luke is wrong, like can I trust the rest of the gospel? Like, are they just making it up as they go? Or, like, how do we resolve that tension? And, and the reality is, uh, I'm not going to fix that today. Um, that's not the point of the sermon. Um, but I will say this. The, the reason that the Gospels, the Bible has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is because they are different. If they were all the same, exactly the same, they would only need one. But the early church, the people that um, walked and were taught by Jesus and started churches, and the people that were closely connected with the earliest Christians, they said all four are valuable. All four tell a story. And so if, I, if the people that knew Jesus were comfortable with there being four that were slightly different, then I'm comfortable with, with that. Um, and we just kind of have to wrestle with it. Um, so just be encouraged by the fact that the early church saw the four gospels and said, we got no issue with it. Um, but again, if I've kind of pulled a Band-Aid off of something or created a crisis of faith in your head or something, like, let's talk about it, reach out to me. Don't walk out here and go, see, oh, blessed are the poor, poor in spirit, like, I can't believe in Jesus anymore or something. Like, come talk to me about it. Um, the point of the four Gospels is to paint a picture of who Jesus is, and each author kind of had their own goal. Now, this particular section of that sermon appears to be Jesus giving a list of rules to his followers. Like, here's what you have to do. Um, I'm the authority figure, and you have to do what I tell you to do. It looks to be a list of rules and laws that you have to follow. And that can be confusing for many of us. Um, not on its face, you know, on face value, but it can be confusing because I grew up hearing that religion is when they want you to do stuff. And Jesus is all about he did stuff, Right? Like, religion is do-do-do, Jesus is done-done-done. You've heard that before. Like, a relationship with Jesus isn't about what you have to do. It isn't about being good enough. You could never be good enough. It's not about following rules. It's not about, you know, being all legalistic and doing all the right things at the right time. But also, here's a bunch of rules that we, we need you to follow. Like, those two things seem to happen simultaneously. The, some of the, the criticism of church in our culture, and some of it's warranted, some of it's exaggerated, but when outsiders look at the church, they say, you've got all these rules. And it's hard to, to follow all these rules, and you guys don't even follow all these rules. And so on one hand, we, we talk about relationship with Jesus being grace. You can never earn your way into heaven. You can never earn your way into the kingdom of God. You can never be good enough, do enough. Uh, I mean, that's the, the, the start of the gospel story, right? Is for everybody who sinned and falls short and you're, you, know, you're, you can't escape sin, sin nature, you can't do all that. So it, it can't be about rule following, but also every church you go to, every denomination is gonna have a list of requirements and expectations to be a part of that body. And here we, we have Jesus that seems to be reinforcing that. Here's, here's the rules. You have to do these things. It's not about what we have to do, but what Jesus did, but also here's some rules. And so like I said, it gets confusing, especially if you're a newer Christian who's not used to the kind of the, the church culture that just kind of assumes some things are true. 
it certainly seems like there's a lot of rules you have to follow. And so while we're focused on, we say we aren't focused on those rules, we seem to hear Jesus preaching those rules. Do this, don't do that, that's what he says. Right? It seems like rules with punishments implied for those who break the rules. I mean, not only does he say do this, don't do that, but if you, if you break that rule, there's consequences. It's not going to be good for you. So despite declaring boldly that we are saved by grace, not by what we do, we seem to be really concerned about what we do and what other people do. And so we seem to cling dearly to the the Ten Commandments and other biblical rules as rules we need to live by. So which is it? Are we a bunch of, uh, are we following a bunch of rules to be good Christians? Are we we trying to understand everything the Bible teaches us and, and, and let that govern our lives? Because there's a lot of rules in the Bible, so is, is that it? Are we trying to, to shape our lives based off of those rules? Or, or, or can we do whatever we want because it's God's grace that saves us? Or there's tension between obedience and grace. Or maybe there could be a third option. Maybe there's, there's something else in this dynamic that, that could resolve this in such a way that, that we can be uh, authentically Christian not compromising on who we are, but not trying to earn our place in the kingdom either. Because it seems like so many of us get caught in a trap, right, of, of thinking that there's two options. We get caught in this binary construct, this idea that there's only one of two options. And you either follow the rules, and by extension the church becomes uh, a place of rule enforcers, like ministry leaders and the board becomes people that control things to make sure People are following those rules, and if, and if anything, you know, that becomes what the church is. It's all about keeping people compliant and obedient. Or the flip side is, if you don't do that, then anything goes, and we don't hold anybody accountable to anything that they do, and people just do whatever they want. I mean, do you, do you feel this tension? Have you experienced this? We don't want to be legalistic, but we can't let people just do whatever they want either, can we? We say it's not about the rules. We have a lot of rules, though. It's about love and grace, but maybe not too much love and grace. Right? <laughs> you can't let people just do whatever. And if you start emphasizing grace, then it sounds like God doesn't really care what you do. Like, do whatever you want. It'll be okay. Jesus died for you. Um, we could go verse by verse and I could give you advice on how to follow the rules that Jesus taught. Like we could break it down that way and I could talk about what he's asking us to do or all of that type of things. You know, here's five techniques on how to turn the other cheek. Like I could, we could do a sermon like that. I don't know. Um, three ways to love your enemy. Like we could do a sermon on that and stuff. But Here's what God wants you to do. Here's the rules he wants you to follow. So your job is to follow the rules. My job becomes helping you figure out how to manage uh, following those rules. And of course, you're going to fall short. So what to do when you fall short. How to be good rule followers. But I'm not going to do that today. We don't want to do that today. Like that's, I mean, we could, but we don't want to do that. I'd rather make a move um, to something more at the heart of what Jesus was teaching in this gospel. So while we may not break down each individual verse, I want you to understand what Jesus was doing here. And so as, I, as we go to do that, I want us to start with a verse 
from the, a letter that Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the church in Galatia, and that letter shows up in the book of Galatians, and this is chapter 5, verse 22, and it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? Uh, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, patience, love, etc., are not the seeds of the Spirit. It doesn't say that if you have these things, then you can receive the Holy Spirit. Like if you're a loving, joyous, peaceful person, then God will come and dwell within you. If you are patient and kind and good to people, then then God will come and dwell in you and you can be a Christian. Well, if you're gentle and self-controlled, then you can be a part of the church. It says they are the fruit, not the seed. Fruit is the product. Fruit is the result of the Spirit's presence in your life. You know, apple trees produce apples, not the other way around. So the Holy Spirit living inside of you, shaping you, empowering you, it produces love. It produces joy. It produces peace, patience. It produces kindness. You don't do these things to receive the Spirit. You receive the Spirit in such a way that you can experience these things. We don't live like Jesus described to become followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we begin to live the way that Jesus described. And that may sound like I'm just playing with words, but I really wanted to, I'm just using the fruit of the Spirit as an example, as a, a way that this, this works to present um, that we often talk about our, our rule-keeping, our behaviors as a way for God to show up. But the gospel from, from, from the beginning to all the way through the letting, letters of Paul and, and beyond is about the fruit that comes from being near Jesus. You receive the spirit so you can experience these things. We live the way Jesus teaches us to live as a result of being close to him. As followers of Jesus, we begin to live life. So when you read this, you read the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain or the teachings of Jesus that talks about, you know, this and that. Blessed are these people, you know, woe to these people. Blessed are these. This is how you should live. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Forgive an uncountable number of times. He's not telling you that's what you have to do in order to be his follower. He's telling you that if you are his follower and have a relationship with him, That's how you will live. It's the fruit that comes out of relationship with him. And so uh, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. And different is always risky. Um, So this may be really awkward and really weird. But sometimes I, I reach a point where I feel like we start majoring in the minor things. Right? We get so caught up. And I, I don't just mean first church. I mean like church in general. Right? Like if you were... A new Christian trying to engage with Christianity for the first time. I mean, there's bookstores and online stuff and blogs and Facebook pages and conferences and, and all these types. I mean, every, you could go to the Christian bookstore um, or Barnes and Noble or wherever and, and there's hundreds and hundreds of books and all these different sections and like, where do I begin and what is going on? And you're saying this is good news and you're saying it's important and I, it's, it's this huge behemoth of a, of a cultural phenomenon type of thing. And sometimes I think the good news of the gospel can get lost in that. And when I was, when I was younger and I would get overwhelmed by life or caught up in, in things being too confusing or too difficult, 
my dad used to pull me aside. Sometimes he'd say, let's go ride in the truck and take me for a drive. Sometimes we'd just sit on the porch and chat or whatever. But he'd help me breathe. And he'd help me find the truth in all of that. To find the, the good nugget in all that. The, the simple thing. Like, let's figure out what is really going on. And so it's kind of with that in mind that I want to spend the next few minutes just chatting about um, the gospel, um, the good news of Jesus. And so what I'm going to do, and like I said, anytime you do anything different, it's risky. It could work really weird, but I'm going to steal the stool, and I'm going to stop preaching at you. And I'm just going to come down here and uh, use this extra space I created up here and just talk for a minute. Like I said, I hope this doesn't feel gimmicky or whatever. Um, My notes are really sparse here at this point, so it's just more conversational. Um, Can we put the the next slide up? So, Christianity, life with Jesus, being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, it's not about how we have to live, right? We're not trying to earn our way into anything. We're not trying to prove that we're good enough. We're not trying to you know, develop our sense of value. We're not trying to, you know, the songs we sang this morning, God has already said things about who we are. Um, a pastor that I listen to uh, on podcast every week, I listen to his Sunday sermon, he says, God has already made up his mind about you and the news is good, right? Um, so that's not how we have to live. This, what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Plain isn't a list of things that you have to do to be his follower. He's telling us how we get to live, and this is a, it may just feel like I'm playing with words a little bit, but this is a huge, huge move. Being a Christian, being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus is a huge, huge privilege. And I don't use that word like loosely or whatever. Like it is a blessing. Um, being able to live with Jesus as our king. Um, we can go to the next slide. Um, so the life that Jesus is describing when he talks about being a follower, when he's preaching these sermons on the mount and sermons on the plain, he's talking about what it means to live as a Christian, the life that he's describing is one that he lived himself. So when you look at the teachings of Jesus and you look at the life that he lived, there's no disconnect. There's integrity between that. So as, as king of all things, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. And so you can if you want to understand what Jesus means when he's teaching, blessed are the poor, or woe to those who are rich, or if there's any confusion, which there is, some of the stuff he teaches is complicated and difficult and can be confusing. Um, So if you have questions about what that looks like, you can just look at his own life. Jesus not only taught about the good news, he lived it out. Jesus describes the life, but he also lives the life. And it's important to note that that's not just any one particular moment, but his life ends up on a cross. It ends up in a tomb, and it ends up with a resurrection. And as Christians, that's our hope. That we can follow and be faithful to who who God is and what he's calling us to do without fear. Because ultimately, God, uh, the life that God provides is bigger than anything that can be a threat to us in this world. And so the life that Jesus is describing is the life that Jesus lived. The thing that he's asking us to do is the exact way that he he lived. If we can go to the the next slide. Uh, This life that Jesus is describing, 
is the life that results from a relationship with Jesus. Uh, This is important for a lot of different reasons. So Jesus is saying, do this, don't do that. Turn the other cheek, love your enemy. The cool thing about what Jesus is doing is he's not sending us out to go figure out how to do these things on our own. He's not saying, here's a list of rules, go do it, and if you get it right, I'll come back and I'll be your best friend. He's not saying, here, you've got strength and willpower and all this on your own, go and do these things. But rather, he's, he's describing a life that results from a relationship with him. He says, if you follow me, you will fish for men. If you follow me, you will love your enemies. If you follow me and stay connected with me, you will be more like me. A disciple becomes more like their rabbi. And so we have made Christian discipleship a project in some ways. We have made it a self-help program. We have made it a, a life improvement program. And like I said, you can go into a bookstore, you can go online, you can find all these different, and some of it is really good. I'm not trying to disparage it. But to cut through all the noise and all the confusion, you cannot create the life that Jesus wants you to have through willpower and choice on your own. You cannot do it in isolation. You cannot do it just by by deciding one day, hey, I want to be more like what Jesus says. This is the life that results from a relationship with Jesus. So to be faithful to what he's calling us to do, to live according to the way that he wants, the most important commitment we can make is not all the tasks that he's describing, but relationship with him. Does that make sense? Like we can, we can focus on, oh, I, I need to learn to love my enemies better, and so I'm gonna make that my goal for this year, and I've got my, my to-do board, and I've got exercises and patience, and I'm gonna follow this blogger, and I'm gonna practice this, and that's, that's all good. But ultimately, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believe that what God really wants for us can only come from a close relationship with Jesus. So the life that Jesus is describing, when he, he, even when he's giving hard commands, it's an invitation to lean in more. Even when he's saying, do this, I mean, he invited Peter to walk on water, and that didn't go so well for Peter. But it's, it, he invites him to do things, but it's an invitation to draw closer to him. To love, to love your enemy ultimately is an invitation to trust in Jesus more. To turn the other cheek, to, to, to be generous with people, to give and not expect money in, back, money in return is, is an exercise in trusting him more. And so a life that Jesus is describing here uh, is a life that results from our relationship with Jesus. Uh, let's see what the next one is. Um, yeah, the life that Jesus describes is the life that is completely free from our sinful nature. Freedom in Christ. This is a huge theme in the church, and, and rightfully so. But the life that Jesus is teaching his disciples about, the picture that he's painting, what he's asking them to, to do with their lives, is one that is free from our sinful nature. And what I mean by this is, um, I had a friend when I was in, in kindergarten um, who like, I was really big into sports. He was really big into, like, creepy crawly things and weird stuff. He had a Venus flytrap and tarantulas and snakes and, like, and the one day he told me, he's like, hey, I got a fighting fish. And I was super excited. Like, this sounds cool, right? I don't know what I was expecting. Um, but he said he had a fighting fish. And so I was super excited to go to his house and check out this fighting fish. So I get there, again, kindergarten, and I look at the tank and it's just swimming around. It's just this silly fish just swimming around. 
dude, Craig, I thought you said this was a fighting fish. Like, what is going on? And so then he grabbed a mirror, just a little square mirror, and held it up to the tank, and the fish went berserk to the point like its own scales were falling off, like it was going to hurt itself if he kept it there. And he said the same thing happens if he can see another fish. And I got to thinking after that, like, usually nature's pretty smart about things. You know, like, God created creation in such a way that, like, but this seems wrong. Like, what is this fish doing? Oh, he sees himself and he, he injures himself. I'm like, thank God only this fish reacts in such a way that is, you know, harmful to itself. And then fast forward, you know, 10 years, and I get my driver's license. And I get out on the road and start seeing fighting fish behind the wheel. <laughs> People instinctively reacting to, to what's around them without thought. And they put themselves in harm's way. And that included the person behind the steering wheel uh, when I was driving. And I realized that so many of things in life are reactionary. That, that sometime, sometimes I found myself saying, I didn't mean to do that. It just happened. I didn't want to be angry. I didn't, I didn't mean to say those things. It just came out. I didn't mean to put our friendship at risk. I didn't mean to hurt you with the things I said. I found myself over and over and over again relating to that stupid fighting fish. And sadly, our culture today has become an economy of fighting fish. Like, they want your attention, but more so, they want your outrage. They want you to be afraid. They want your attention because they want you to be angry about stuff. Like, this is how it captures your attention. The news, social media, whatever. Like, they want you upset and angry. And so what freedom in Christ for me means in a really practical sense is that I am freed from that nature, of self-preservation, that nature of I, I don't have enough and if I don't fight for it, somebody else is going to take what's mine and I'll, I'll be left holding the empty bag. And so the life that Jesus is describing, a life where I can turn the other cheek, where I can forgive people, where I can give away freely is a life that is free from being that fighting fish. Go ahead, show me the mirror. I'm not going to react. Go ahead and, and do something wrong by me. I will forgive you. You need some money here. Go, if you want to Give me money back, that's fine, but I don't need it. To be free of the fear and anxiety that, that drives everything, right? to be free from the, the reactionary quest for self-preservation and power. Because baptism, when we become a Christian, that's the, 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 the common symbol, the common act is baptism, it represents death on a cross. <laughs> You've been buried with Jesus and then raised to new life. So as a Christian, you start from day one by acknowledging that you die. <laughs> um, and everything after that is all whatever Jesus has for you. And so this life that Jesus describes is the life that's completely free from our sinful nature. We would call that holiness. <laughs> we've been transformed, we've been sanctified, we've, been, we've become more like Jesus. We've been empowered to live the way that he teaches us to. And the life that Jesus describes is not the result of a lot of rule following. I know people that have never said a bad word. They've never cussed in their entire life. But they are some of the most, <laughs> you could have people that are most unkind, most un-Jesus-like people you've ever met. But they don't swear. <laughs> uh, it's not, uh, following rules, avoiding bad behaviors isn't the goal of what Jesus was trying to do. And just like the, the people uh, that experienced the exodus, getting out of Egypt was an important step. Like, let's avoid these harmful, negative things, but I need somebody else to teach me what to do. 
I need somebody else to teach me the ways of life to live in this kingdom. And so it's, it's not uh, the result of a lot of rule following. You can't do enough to get there on your own. It's the result of this deep relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so as we, we kind of wrap up our time, um, we can go to the next slide. Jesus isn't telling us how we have to live to follow him. We stress and we worry and we're anxious. I, I follow a lot of Christian organizations on Facebook and blogs and those types of stuff. And every so often, probably weekly, there's some blog or question article, whatever, again, trying to get your attention, but can you be a Christian and fill in the blank? Can you be a Christian and not use cash? <laughs> can you be a Christian and still X, Y, Z? Like fill in the blank. I know you guys have probably seen some of those. I see them probably more often, than, <laughs> definitely more often than I want to. Um, because I follow some of these organizations, and I just want to explore. But it's, this is the question our, our culture asks. Anytime I do a funeral or a wedding and, and I'm around people that are outside the church a little bit more than my, my regular routine, um, there's either questions or fear. People walk in the door, oh, I'm going to get hit, hit by lightning if I come in the church. I don't think I've ever done a wedding where somebody hasn't made that comment. <laughs> I can't believe lightning hasn't struck with me being in the church. People are anxious, they're afraid that they're not good enough to be here. They're afraid that they don't know the rules, they can't keep the rules, and if they could, they wouldn't want to. <laughs> like, but Jesus is not telling us how we have to live to follow him. He didn't tell Peter, hey, if you, you know, clean up your life, then you can throw down your nets and follow me. He starts with the invitation. Come be my follower. It will change you. Come receive the love and forgiveness of God. It will change you. This is the good news. It's not good news that, you, oh, if you spend the next 30 years of your life following rules, maybe you can go to heaven. The good news was Jesus has room at his table right here and now. And that will change you. Receive forgiveness and mercy. That will redeem you, restore you. You will be more like him. He's not telling us how we have to live to follow him. He's teaching us how we get to live if we choose to follow him. You know, turn the other cheek if somebody smacks you. Like, it, my, the carnal side of me, the, 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 like, the most animal instincts is like, if somebody punches me in the face, I, I want to punch them back. But Jesus says turning the other cheek is freedom. You're no longer caught up in this, this driven by emotion and all of that. You are free from that. And you can live that way. You can be at peace with others. You can experience joy you start looking at other people as enemies and start seeing them as, as people that God loves. It changes your whole view of the world. So he's teaching us how we get to live. This is a gift. Being in the church, being a Christian is a gift. I, I, it saddens me, uh, now I'm way off notes, but it saddens me when I'm, I hear Christians talk today about how terrible it is to be a Christian. It makes me sad. Oh man, they got it out for us. Oh man, they're, they're, they're after us. Oh man, this just isn't working out for us. <laughs> it, it makes me sad because this is our witness. The early Christians uh, went to crosses, they went to executions because they found life, peace, joy, and hope in following Jesus. And they, they, it cost them everything. It cost them everything, and they still did it willingly. They saw it as a blessing, as a gift. 
Jesus isn't teaching us how we have to live in order to follow him. He's teaching us how we get to. <laughs> we get to be children of God. We get to live as part of a church, part of a community where we forgive each other. Where we care about one another. Where if you're, you're sick, somebody picks up the phone and calls. If you have a baby, somebody plans meals for you. If you, if you lose your job, people pitch in. Nobody should be alone. We get to live this way. We get to experience the joy and the peace that comes with the life that Jesus is describing. So we can throw the, this is the last slide and then I'm wrapping up. This is the image that I've been sharing the last several weeks. You'll see it again, probably a lot more. So as a church, this is where I'm trying to help us focus on. Right? We're gonna love God in worship and worship is responding to God's love. Right? This is, this is going to be the framework for our lives. This is what Jesus is inviting us to, to love God in response to his love for us. That's good news. God loves you. God cares about you. He says, come, sit at my table. Come, follow me. Let me forgive you. Let me clean you up. Let me take care of these things. You could, let me set you free from these things that hold you down. And our response to that is, thank you. <laughs> Worship. Love God back. And as a Christian, as part of the church, it's our responsibility, our privilege to help others find that, that peace and that freedom. Teach them how to love God in return. To love others, to live in fellowship, to live in connection and relationship with each other. What a privilege. There's people right now this morning that feel alone, that have nowhere to turn. They don't have a church to go to. They don't have a phone to call. They don't have a, a, a pastor to shepherd them. They don't have Sunday school classes to go and, and learn. They don't have prayer groups to come and pray with others. They don't know. And so as a church who's received this joy, this blessing, like it should drive us to help others connect in Christian relationship. And then just ultimately to serve the world. There's people who have needs. Um, I mean, obviously serving the church, we have things that we need to do in order to make church happen. But ultimately, that should just be practice for what we're doing in our everyday lives outside the church. This is the life that Jesus is inviting us to. Not because if you don't, you won't get into heaven when you die. Not as if you don't, Jesus won't like you as much or will ask you to leave or something. But because you're given the opportunity to experience this freedom, this life here and now. Um, anyway, that's my conversation. I'm going to pray and put the stool back. And the worship team's going to come and lead us in prayer.